Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled, My Favorite Dharma Book, Mountain Dharma, by Kathy Lamo Jackson. This is an introduction to Karma Chakme's comprehensive book, Mountain Dharma, written in 1659. This book is a practical guide for practitioners of Tibetan Buddhism with over 50 chapters. Kempo Karta Rinpoche taught this text in 1999 through 2003 at KTD Monastery. Sources include Mountain Dharma as taught by Kempo Karta Rinpoche. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Kathy Jackson, or Kathy Lamo Jackson. I'm from Columbus KTC, or Columbus Karma Texum Choling, in Columbus, Ohio. And today's presentation will be a class. Lama Kathy and I had a long talk about this. I want to make sure you know I'm not teaching. I'm basically doing a book review and to share why this is one of my favorite books. So before we begin, let's first just sit up straight because you're going to be hearing words of the Holy Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha. And this is a very special book. So I want to make sure that you understand how to approach a teaching or when you hear something very special. First, we're going to do the refuge prayer. And if you don't know that, or if you're not Buddhist, um, you can sit quietly. Or if you are Buddhist and you have a different prayer, um, please say it now. I'm just gonna start, I'll say it in Tibetan once and then in English. Sanje Jodan Suki Jodan La Jancho Bardo Dani Yatsuji I'm going to do two times in Tibetan. And the Buddha, his teachings, and the order most excellent. I take my refuge until enlightenment is reached. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I attain awakening for the benefit of all living beings. So I hope you're all doing well on this Sunday, or whatever day that you're looking watching this video. And I want to first talk about how if you ever go to a teaching of with a Buddhist teacher, um, there is a sort of a certain way you should how you should become a receptive vessel. The analogy is a vase. So we can think of a vase like this. Or maybe a teapot. A teacup is a good analogy also. So important thing or the first thing is you're not. You're not dirty. That doesn't mean the analogy is the dirt would mean you have you already have a preconceived notion. So it's kind of blocking the clarity of what you're receiving. The second is it wouldn't be um, if, it, if this is like a teacup, it wouldn't be completely overfilled with water. Some say it's not turned over. But I like the analogy, it's not overfilled. So that means you're very receptive still. And the third is, which is my biggest problem, is it's not leaky, meaning you forget, you're lazy, you might fall asleep during the teaching. So that's a very important thing for you to know that when you go to a teaching, try and be receptive, open, alert. Those are all very important things. So as I said earlier, today we're going to explore one of my favorite books. It's actually books, it's, there's four of them, but it was written as a book and it is this book. I'm gonna hold it up. Let's see, get it right here. Get the glare off. Karma Chagme is the author. 
and the text is called Mountain Dharma. It was written in 54 chapters. And when this was presented by my guru, my teacher, Kempo Karcha Rinpoche, when he taught this, and I love this picture on the back. This shows whenever he would, there would be questions and answers, and he would always put his hand out like that, very welcoming to invite people to do questions and answers. This book is available, Namze Bangzo Bookstore. Um, and at the end, I can maybe spell that out for you. And it's on sale right now, so there's four of them. Today, I thought I would do all four, but I'm thinking more and more I'm going to do just one <laughs> because it's, it's very comprehensive. So um, first, I'm going to I'll mention this several times, excuse me, why this would be considered one of my favorite Dharma books. A, my husband and I were able to go to those teachings, which were amazing. Kempokarja Rinpoche was instructed by the 16th Gyawa Karmapa to teach his Western students this text at a certain point, you might say in our, in our Dharma education, our Buddhist training. And he did this in 1999 through 2003. And he did it through a series of weekend teachings. And by some wonderful event, my husband and I were able to go to a great deal of them. And the schedule was like this. He would teach on a Friday night, maybe at 7 to 8 o'clock or 8.30, if the weather was good. If the weather was bad, he started on Saturday. The monastery is in upstate New York, so sometimes they have pretty wicked winter weather, but it's beautiful no matter what. So that would be Friday night. Saturday, he would teach a morning session till noon. And then in the afternoon, he would do questions and answers. And these were amazing. The questions and the answers not only covered what he had taught in this book and what, and because this is actually him reading the text and then giving a commentary on why and on how we can understand it more so not being born Tibetan Buddhists. And the questions and answer sessions were usually at least an hour and a half to two hours long. And they were just brilliant. People could bring to him anything they had on their mind, not just from this text. And I was, um, at that time, I was recovering from a stroke. So it was just hard enough for me to get up to the mountain with my very kind husband driving me a 12-hour drive. And um, we just loved it. So after a while, it sort of became our thing we did every month, at least every month or every other month. And for the most part, I believe the translator was Lama Yeshe Yamso. And it was, it was so brilliant. So this is why, why do I really like this text? It's about retreat, and I don't necessarily have the, the best karma of doing a long retreat. But he really went through all of Buddha Dharma in terms of Hinayana, Mahayana, and Vajrayana. And he did it in such a way, he taught in such a way that it was very non-intellectual, very practical, and very concise, very clear, the way Kempo Kartarupashe taught. Now, both of them were very intellectual people. Temple Karcher Rinpoche was an abbot. But they understood, for these students, us Westerners, we had more of a different taste and style that we responded well to. And we particularly respond well to Karma Chagme. Let me look at my cheats, my notes here, just go over a few things. Um, the last time I spoke, I did a biography on Karma Chagme Rinpoche. But just a five-second overview um, he was born in 1613 and died in 1678. He was from Eastern Tibet. His, he came from a family of, from the Nyingma tradition. His father gave him a long life empowerment as he was being born. He spent his entire life in training, first with his father to become a Nyingma teacher. And then later, from the age of 13 to 37, he did a great deal of retreats every year. Not solid retreat, but retreats every year. And then as time went on, he did a very long-term retreat. So the, the whole background of this text, and it's actually in the text how this all came to be. As I mentioned, there's 54 chapters. There's four of these books. They're on sale right now. I'm not, I don't get any money from this. At KTD Monastery, at, I'm sorry, 
Namse Bangso Bookstore. That's our monastery bookstore. Um, some are going for $15 and some for about $18. But normally they go for $29. And they're very, they're really substantial book. And maybe the other part of the book that I find amazing is um, this, I think, was one of the earliest books. So this is from KTD Publications. Maureen McNichols and Peter Van Dusen from the bookstore, and Maureen was the editor of this book. And they did such an outstanding job on all the, and I offer all the merit of all the people that transcribe these teachings. And then not only did they put down what had been taught, they include a beautiful glossary. And my favorite part is the index. I use this as one of my main reference books. Whenever I'm teaching a class, I always go to one of these four books and find inspiration from them and such clarity of what to do. Now, it says this is a retreat manual. So the title is Mountain Dharma, but I think the subtitle is like the retreat manual. And it's just all about retreat, but much more so than that. So anyway, that was the main reason that Kamarumishi taught it beautiful questions and answers in here. And these questions and answers are so educational. You learn so much about Buddhism and they answer a great deal. Uh, I think the questions all of us have. So today I'm going to go through a few highlights of the book, but because I'm not really teaching the book, I'm going to be reading primarily from it. So, and I'm not sure if there's any messages. I think messages will be there. And there's a few people here Hi, Tom and Karma Jamba. Thank you for being here. And anyone else who's here. All right, so let me get my sheet. So let's first read about why this is so important. Um, there's one saying that if you don't have a teacher nearby, put the, this text, so it would be in the Pecha, the Tibetan style text, to put it on your pillow. And when you sleep at night, you'll be getting instructions from it because it's so comprehensive. That's, I think, the other thing. It's comprehensive, yet very easy to understand. So um, I'm reading, so the chapter names are just absolutely beautiful, but in a very basic, I'm gonna kind of give you the basics of what's in the very first book. Um, some of the highlights are, are the foundation of Buddhism. And this also includes Anamtar, which is the spiritual life story of Karma Chavwin Rinpoche. There's also um, chapters on why retreat, why practice, how this book's, how the entire book is organized, um, a deep teaching on the three vehicles of Buddhism, and also going into the preliminaries and the four thoughts that turn the mind to Dharma. So a great deal of us pretty much early on as Buddhists start doing something we call Mahamudra Mundra. This is a great, the first book goes through this, this entire chapters on each of those segments. So on the four thoughts and also on refuge, on the Bodhisattva vow and depth, which is the first stage of Mundro and Vajrasattva, Mandala and Guru Yoga. And with Kempo Karjan Rinpoche doing a great deal of the Q&A. So it's really great. All right, so let me start doing some reading. I shouldn't talk so much. So this is the chapter a little bit on kind of how the book came to be. So I should touch on this. So in the tradition of retreats in Tibet, often people were in Tibet for a very long, uh, were in retreat for a very long time. And sometimes if they were a highly accomplished practitioner like Kramachagme, people would basically knock on the door of the, the retreat cave might have a door where there's a hole or a bell and they would ask for teachings. Well, a young man came along, and his name was Sundru Gyamso, and he's the one we should thank for this book, because he approached Kamachagme and said, and he gave his qualifications from his teachers and what he had learned, and said, I would like to write, you have taught all over Tibet on retreat. Maybe we should put together one big book almost like a compendium. And I guess Karma Chagme had hurt his hand from writing so much. And he said, I will write this down for you. And this is how it started. And so he 
Sundru sat outside the retreat, outside, to get and got all of this information from him. And I'm sure the weather wasn't always that nice. So it's pretty amazing that he did that. And it's, it is said after Kramachagme died, there were still texts that were out there that were coming in that they were pulling together. So that they really gathered a great deal of this text. A lot of you might know Kramachagme because um, some of you have taken some of the Medicine Buddha classes. He helped um, edit that text. He also wrote the aspiration to the Sukhavati because he was um, an Amitabha practitioner and had visions of Amitabha, including that text. So we have many other ways we're related with him. He's, he's very special in our tradition. So let me begin. Um, and this is regarding the text. It is said, and it is very true, that if you become familiar with all of these 54 chapters of Richu, Richu is R-I and C-H-O, that's Mountain Dharma, you will have everything you need concerning how to conduct a proper solitary retreat. And he said, um, and then going on, he said, think about all that is necessary to practice Dharma properly, particularly all that is necessary in order to conduct oneself in retreat. Consider that you cannot possibly be with your guru for your entire lifetime. You, you will be away from your teacher sometimes during retreat or practice when you're practicing alone. What will you do in this case? Karma Chagmi Rupshi answers that if you become familiar with all 54 chapters of this book, of these oral instructions for mountain retreat, it is like having a guru right there with you. He says, just carry the textbook. Of course, in America now, we have four of them. And by the way, I forgot to mention, there's also now a Chinese translation, which is wonderful. He said, just carry this textbook. The moment you're not clear, read that chapter. It's like having a guru that is ready to explain everything. You do not have to obtain 50 or 60 different textbooks. If you become well acquainted with this text, you will have everything necessary to achieve enlightenment. Kimber Rinpoche later talked about how the text was organized and said, when you buy these and study them, you don't have to go cover to cover. You could go to what topic you're looking for. And later on in the other classes, I will teach one more class to cover um, the second, third, and fourth text or the, the end of the chapters. And there's a lot of deity practice there that we do. And there's a lot of clarification. When I first read this book, I, I believe I marked this maybe 10 years ago. <clears throat> a student asks, there is a lot of encouragement and emphasis in the Kagyu and Nyingma traditions for practitioners to go under retreat. Is there any hope for us that are trying to practice in a normal life? Or is it essential that at some point we have to go into isolation? And this is from Q&A. So this is Kempo Karcher Rinpoche talking now. Rinpoche says, first of all, the whole reason why we usually do not have the opportunity to do retreat, to emulate the lifestyle of radical renunciation that is advocated in these lineages is because our priority is this life. We prioritize success and pleasure based upon clinging to the permanence of this life, which is a mistake. It is a bewilderment in the most extreme case, cases, we think that this life is all there is. Whatever we may believe, we tend to cling to it as the most important thing since it is right up in front of us. Therefore, we prioritize success in this life. And as a result, we do not have time to practice, whether in isolation or at home. Next, he says, practically speaking, this means to adopt a lifestyle of renunciation, to live in retreat, and practice intensively. And of course, this is best. But, but, even if you cannot do that, you can still make time, provided you're prioritizing it. Even if it's just a little bit of time every day, in the morning and late evening, there's always some time for practice. And Kemper Mache emphasizes throughout the book that, yes, this is about retreat. But I remember one time I asked Tonka Rinpoche about 
trying to go into retreats that I don't always seem to have the karma for that. And he said, the best thing is to look at everyday practice as being in a retreat cave. He said, even if it's for 15 minutes. So this is very similar to what Kemper Rinpoche is saying. So Karma Chagme speaks a great deal about sort of how the texts came into being, which we talked about, which I just touched on. He goes into great detail in the book. And then Kemper Rinpoche also gives advice about this text, which I forgot to mention. He gives some really great advice. Let me look at that section. In the front, there is a very short biography about Kamachadme and a beautiful one about Kimball Cartoon Rinpoche. Then I mentioned there was an actual Namtar. At the Namtars are a type of um, hagiography spiritual biography. And when this was all put together, remember, this is written by Karma Chagme, was the very last thing he put in. But Kimberly put it in the very beginning so we could connect more with Karma Chagme. And we tapped on that a little bit last week. I was trying to get to Rinpoche's advice. Oh, I think it's right up in the beginning. I forgot. So Rinpoche says, Karmachagra Rinpoche was in lifelong retreat when Sindhu Gyamso requested his teachings. Traditionally, when someone is doing lifelong retreat, provisions were made for limited communication with the outside. But when a practitioner has completed all the graduated practices of various shirams and had achieved signs of realization, it was appropriate for them to teach, even though they were still in retreat. So Karma Rinpoche Karmakagi Rinpoche had actually um, mastered so many mantra practices, meaning not only did he have the empowerment, the reading transmission, the tree, the and the, the empowerment, the tree and the lung and the tree, the instructions, he actually mastered the required number of mantras, which is usually a thousand mantras, a thousand times each syllable. So, for instance, Chenrezig Mantra is Om Mani Padme Hum. So, traditionally, in order to even first become qualified to do the practice and do the higher parts of the practice, you would do 100,000 of each of those syllables. So, you would basically do 100,000 mantras of Chenrezig Mantra. Amitabha is also six-syllable mantra. Um, Medicine Buddha is, I believe, 21 or 22, so that's over 2 million you would do. So um, so he had mastered all of this. And so it's it's very nice. This advice from Kemper Rinpoche is in every book. Um, we talked about that. And let's see. I think that pretty much covers that, that part of it for his advice. Now, the second part of his practice for class today, I want to read um, some of the I talked about what was really unique about this, and I still think it's very interesting that Kemper Karcher Rinpoche, um, right before he had died, and so Kemper Rinpoche lived 1924 and passed in 2019. And a month before he passed, or a few weeks before he passed, um, they began at the monastery. A wonderful monk came from Tibet, and he did the reading transmission of everything Karma Chagme had ever taught. So the entire shrine room, there's a special part on the shrine room, the special shrine, and the texts were all up there. And every day this text was read for I think around six to eight hours. I was only there for a little over a week. Um, Lama Kathy and Suella Steinmetz from our center are two of the people I know and many of the Lamas of course were there for every moment of it. And so they have the full transmission. It's very, very special. And then Rinpoche died about a, a few days after the end of that. So so he had, it, it was such a gift that he gave us that we got that reading transmission. And upstairs where he was, since he wasn't feeling well, there was a big speaker right outside his room. So he heard everything every day. So it was really wonderful. So let's go on. I love some of the questions. I can tell you in every 
book. So there's four of these books. They're just four different continuations of this. Every book, there's always a practice, a question about practice, the challenges of practice. And I particularly love this one. So let me read this one. This is, if you have the book, it's on page 224. I should have been reading page numbers to you. This is a little long. I'll, I'll cut it up a little bit. But I think so many of us have been around Dharma. I mean, even after students have the excitement of learning certain practices is over, people start having problems with things, feeling a little stagnant, a little stale, they get bored, they lose their confidence. And so I think it's wonderful. I At least the first two books from Vashay taught that I've seen, there's all these questions, the same question. And he answered them all a little differently. And here's the question. Rinpoche, I'm dedicated to Dharma practice and understand the importance of it. The problem is, the problem I have is that while sitting daily on a meditation cushion, my meditation has become a little solidified. It becomes like an automatic prayer. How can that become more alive and more inspired? The second part of the question is something we can all relate to. In addition, after about half an hour, my knees and back start hurting. And I find myself wanting to do the practice faster just because I'm experiencing a little bit of physical pain. Rinpoche's answer was, it is good that you're devoted to and committed to Dharma. But devotion is easily lost if there is no understanding of Dharma or how to practice it. By this I mean that the problems you were describing in your first question, or she said it was a little solidified, mean that you have no certainty, no conviction. If there is that kind of conviction, the practice will never become stale or solidified in the way you were describing. Nevertheless, for this is true for all of us as a beginning, we always start out lacking conviction because it only comes through experience. Once that conviction is gained, you become absolutely certain that the path you're pursuing will lead to awakening, at which point there's no problem with staying fresh and in focus. To some extent, this is a question of habit. As you practice more, the habit of practice and the habit of insight of practice will increase. The problem we face is that if we allow ourselves to become distracted while we are practicing, we amass bad habits as well. It can become easier and easier to get distracted and eventually it can become sort of automatic. Therefore, it is important to employ the faculty of alertness, which defends or protects our mindfulness. And it talks a little bit more about this. The function of alertness is to recognize distraction. And once you have recognized it, you simply return to the meditation, to the technique. So I'm gonna read that again. The function of alertness is to recognize distraction. Once you recognize distraction, you simply return to the meditation and to the technique. This return to the technique should be done gently. It is not a question of attempting to force your mind back. It is to be gentle. Working with your mind is a little bit like working with a timid bird. If you extend your hand and invite the bird, eventually it will jump onto your hand. But if you thrust your arm out in a hurry and try to grab the bird, it will fly away. Therefore, in returning to the technique, do so with attempting to force your mind. And with regard to the second question, which was regarding um, after half an hour, um, the person's knees and back were hurting and they wanted to finish the practice as fast as they could. There are two things that might be happening. The first thing, which is probably more likely, is that your body is not yet used to the physical position or practice, in which case there is no alternative but to gradually allow yourself to get used to it. I know there's two people up here right now that are, I think maybe you're the only people attending this, um, Jampa and Tom. I don't know if either of you 
have had this problem in that when you first began of having physical problems? I know I did. And I would go to retreats and things or teachings and day three was my worst day. So I started to do stretches and that really helped me. But remember she goes on. So he said, it's that maybe your physical position, your body's not used to it yet. In which case there is no alternative but to gradually adjust. Only maintain the meditation posture as long as you can do so without discomfort. And gradually, that period of time will increase as your body gets more used to it. The other possibility is that you might have some physical injury or condition that is causing the pain, in which case attempting to prolong the sitting period could actually exacerbate it. Then he went on, nowadays we have all kinds of problems with our minds and with our bodies when we practice. The great practitioners of the old days who seem to have all but disappeared now, did not worry about these things because they had the certainty that I spoke about earlier. They had an attitude that was completely hard-headed, uncompromising, and they thought, I do not care if I get sick or I even die. I would just keep practicing until I'm awakened. Because they had that kind of attitude, they didn't have any problems that they, that they couldn't face. And since we do have these problems, however, we have to deal with them individually and appropriately for each particular situation. So that is one of his wonderful answers on practice. Hi, Sally. I'm so glad you're here. Is this the Sally that actually was one of the um, transcribers of this practice? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, so let's see. We're half hour in. I'm probably only going to do about 10 or 15 more minutes. Keep going. And Rinpoche, very early on, Kemple Karcher Rinpoche, um, had, had a very, I think sometimes the topic of Buddha nature can be a little tricky. Um, being one of the instructors for the beginning meditation, I found over the years, I had to be very careful when I taught on this, because I felt I was making mistakes. And since I really didn't understand Buddha nature fully, it, it just didn't make any sense sometimes. But when I read this section in the book the first time, because this is again one of the parts I marked very early on, I have so many marks on it, I know this is very old. It removed, I think, if you receive a teaching from an amazing teacher who actually has had these experiences, they, it actually somehow sweeps away that obstacle. So I'm going to read this question. I think it's, it's very moving. And welcome everyone that's been coming in. The question is, what is your own karmic relationship with karma chagme? And Rinpoche says, well, that's a very interesting question because I cannot say that I do not have any connection at all with Karma Chagme. I have the transmission of these teachings that I'm giving you. And when you receive such a transmission several times, you've already built a connection. However, if you're talking about my mental connection with Karma Chagme, he is a fully realized being and I'm completely ignorant, ordinary individual. Okay, I'm going to stop just for a moment. That's the other thing I love about Karma Chagme. And Kempo Karcher Rinpoche, they're both so humble and self-deprecating throughout the whole text. And that's a sign of a true teacher. So Kempo Rinpoche said, if you're talking about my mental connection, Karma Chagme was fully realized, and I'm completely ignorant and ordinary being. There's no relationship whatsoever. Nevertheless, because I received this transmission and I'm teaching this text, I can say that I do have a connection to Karma Chagme from the transmission or lineage point of view. So then the student went on to say, I'm sorry, I forgot these are two questions, but I love both of them together. They want to know, she said, the person said, first, I want to thank you for your great sacrifice in coming to America and in making the teachings available to us. 
Would you tell us after so many lives and studying and staying on the path, how would any human being know within themselves when they have taken that first step, the step towards becoming a realized being? Remember Shay's comment is, in response to your first comment, I came out of Tibet to India, not because I wanted to teach, but because I was afraid of the communist. I had to escape from my country. It was not a choice. In addition, my coming here from India was the command of my guru, His Holiness Karmapa. If such teaching is of any benefit, you must thank His Holiness, not me. In answer to your question, the step-by-step -step explanation of the path to enlightenment often makes it sound as if enlightenment is very difficult. Even one step towards enlightenment sounds very difficult. But in reality, enlightenment is not as difficult as it sounds. It all depends upon an individual's exertion and diligence in the practice. There are several positive circumstances in our favor. First, we are born in the human realm, where we are most fortunate because we can receive the teachings of Buddha Dharma. We're all human beings, and therefore, we're able to study and practice. But secondly, even if one is born human, having the wish or thought to participate in Buddha Dharma is very rare. Some say it is rare as the stars out during the daytime. That I inserted that. The mind that is drawn to Buddha Dharma has tremendous accumulation of merit developed in previous lifetimes. So this message is for everyone listening to this. Everyone listening to this. Hi, Helder. Hi, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for being here. So first, the circumstances were to be born human, but the second one was to take on Buddha Dharma, to become a practitioner of Buddhism. The mind that is drawn to the teachings of the Buddha have a tremendous accumulation of merit developed in previous lifetimes. We ourselves are participating now in Buddha Dharma, so it is obvious that those of us who are participating now and who have participated in the past have accumulated such merit. I think most of us don't have that confidence, but these are the words of, of Kimber Rinpoche. We have to trust this. Third, it, and these are the words of the Buddha. The Buddha has taught this. Third, it is said, that you have to have tremendous accumulation of merit, not only to participate in Dharma, studying Buddhism, but especially to participate and to engage yourself in the practice of Tantrayana. These are the deity practices we do. All of you are practicing Tantrayana teachings, showing both ability and willingness of mind or interest in Tantrayana practice. So since this video is going to go out to YouTube, and Facebook, this would be practices such as, um, this is the practices of Malayan or Tibetan Buddhism or Vajrayana, where we actually do deity practices such as Chenrezig, Green Tara, White Tara, Medicine Buddha, Amitabha, Mundro. So those are just some of the many practices we do. So it is very rare to engage in the practice of these. See how lucky we all are? We're all very blessed. All of you are practicing Tantrayana teachings, showing both ability and willingness of mind or an interest in Tantrayana path and practice. This definitely shows that you have participated in the accumulation of tremendous merit in past lives. Enlightenment is not really that far away. It is said that if you're using the Sutrayana tradition, sincerely practicing pure loving-kindness and compassion towards all sentient beings, in one second that practice can burn away the accumulation of the negative karma of many lifetimes. That is the power and strength of such pure love and compassion. If you are sincerely practicing deity practices, you can burn the accumulation of negative karma for hundreds of kalpas in a single instant. 
in my own understanding, we're not walking step by step to enlightenment. In some sense, I feel we are jumping to enlightenment. However, as you jump, whether you remain where you land or jump again higher and farther depends on you as an individual. Will you be diligent in your practice? That is the question that you have to ask yourself. You must not think of enlightenment as merely a slow step-by-step -step process, but understand it as being totally possible in one instant if your mind is put into the practice. You see, enlightenment is not really that far away. Isn't that amazing? So this is part of the Q&A of the very beginning. I remember being in that class. This is the first teaching Rupa Shea gave on that Q&A. So that just touches on some of the extraordinary getting the book alone just to read the Q&A is pretty amazing. I've been thinking more and more of just having classes where I just read Rinpoche's Q&As. I guess that's what I'm doing today. Okay, let's keep going. Then, as I mentioned, um, later on through this text, this is the very first book. Um, I'm going to talk does a beautiful job in going through the four ordinaries of talking about um, precious human birth, impermanence, karma. He goes through so many different things in samsara, unsatisfactoriness of samsara. And then he teaches on how to approach um, taking refuge in the lineage and the Buddha Dharma. And so when you do prostrations, I'm sorry, when you do Mahamudra Mundra, the first practice after the preliminaries, which we chant every time we sit down and do the practice, we then do 111,000 prostrations, which when we're doing this, is part of it's twofold. We're actually uh, taking refuge in the lineage and also um, renewing our Bodhisattva vow and refreshing it. So he does a beautiful job here in the book on talking on that. Then he goes into a great deal, the Vajrasattva practice, why we do the practice. Next, the Mandala practice. And the last one, is Guru Yoga. So this first book has 12 of the 54 chapters. And somewhere in there, there have been, and, and it gives all kinds of other teachings that I've never seen before, because they're, it, this is a very rich tradition. So many of you, I figure, might relate to this questions and answer about the Chenrezig practice. Which, by the way, next, this coming Saturday, we're going to have, um, a session of that, if, and if everyone's invited, not just a session, we're going to kind of do a re review and um, for beginners, but also for people that have done the practice for a long time. Let's see, I just want to go see. So, someone asked in the Chenrezi practice, in the part where you visualize yourself as the deity. You really cannot be the deity because if you were the deity, you would be enlightened. I do not understand. It's a great question. I've heard this many times. I always love hearing the answer. So I'm going to read the question again. It's such a good question. In the Chinrezi practice, so I hope all of you know this, there is a part where you visualize yourself actually as the deity while we're saying the mantras. And the question is, you really cannot be the deity because if you were the deity, you would be enlightened. I do not understand. And this is Rinpoche's answer. As long as we are not free of dualistic fixation, we fixate upon appearances of things and their apparent characteristics, which cause us understandably to have the attitude that the deity is pure and I am impure. Therefore, I cannot be the deity. The deity and I are inherently separate. However, all of the qualities of which the deity Chenrezi is the embodiment of are inherent, inherent or innate within your own true nature. In other words, your fundamental nature or your fundamental being is already the essence or nature of Chenrezi. This nature pervades all things including all appearances, all sounds, all thoughts. Consequently, in our nature, all appearances are already the body of Chenrezig. All sounds, 
already the mantra of Chinrezi. All thoughts are already the wisdom of Chinrezi. In order to bring about the direct experience of that, we do the practice. And the question next is, I love this question. This is the student. Does that mean that no matter how terrible one is at the visual, visualizing, if one just keeps doing it, eventually it will happen? And Rupert said, yes. That's a perfect answer. So sort of to sum up today, I think I'm going to wind down a little bit. I don't think there's any questions. I don't know if anyone can ask them through this. Messages from audience will be here. I don't think there's any questions, but just going to do a little summation. Today I'm talking about my favorite book, one of my favorite Dharma books, which is this book. That is a picture of Karma Jagme. And there are four, this is of 54 chapters. This first book is um, chapter 1 through 12. And you can get that from Namze Bangso Bookstore, namzebangso.com. They're on sale right now. I didn't tell Peter that I was doing this class, but we don't have that many people being affected, I think. But um, I just ordered a new set because I mark these so much when I study. I wanted to have a clean set. So we talked about how the retreat came about for Karma Chagme, how he had someone come along to help write, condense and write all of this down. So we offer his merit. And what was unique about this practice is, is that it's even Karma Chagme talks in the book. He did not want something intellectual, meaning sometimes when you read a book, they'll re refer to this book and then they'll refer to that. And there'll be quotes from many different places, which is very beautiful. But I think he just wanted a very practical, almost a practice book. And so that's what he put together. And it is so genuine, so clear, so concise. And then to top, cap it off for us, Kempo Karcher Rinpoche taught on this for four years. And then there's a beautiful, in the book, um, and then Rinpoche also opened this up to questions and answers, which further helped us understand what was being said. And that is something that was very wonderful about Kempo Rinpoche, that Every teaching, he always made sure there was time for questions and answers because so many of us, we just really need that special, I think, foundation and to be our hand to be held that way. So, and then of course, we should offer up the merit also of those that put all of this together at KTD Publications, Maureen and Peter, and all the wonderful people that transcribed all these books. So just for a moment, I read today earlier that this book, would it contain? So for the second book, um, it examines the complete path of Mahamudra from initial experience to full realization. So book one ended at Mahamudra preliminaries. The next book goes into that and includes um, conduct for a proper retreat. There's more emphasis around retreat. The use of geomancy to determine the appropriate site and he does many practices to avert dangers, how to keep um, robbers from coming into your retreat site and, and his further teachings. There's also, as the books went on, Rinpoche started giving us mantras. So later on, many mantras were written into the book, which was really wonderful. So we would have that. So, and white tar practices is spoken of in this one, along with the chug practice that many of you uh, I've been learning from um, Lama Sultram Gyamso at Lama Sultram, Lama Sultram at KTD. Uh, and um, Lama Adam has been putting together a group that meets all the time. So, and the other two books go into even richer practices that I've not yet even touched upon and talked about, but we're going to be studying those in my next class. So the next class, we'll go through books two, three, and four, just to do an overview. I hope this was all right for you, even though I did read a lot of Rinpoche's and Karma Chagne's talks, because I'm not teaching. I'm just basically doing a glorified book review. And I thank all of you for being here with me. 
I hope you get the books and enjoy them the way I did. And remember, Kemper Carter Mache said, you don't have to read it cover to cover. So the way I first really got into the books, they were in the house for years. I would just pull them out and go to the index, which I just love, and go, oh, they have this, oh, they have that. And then I would find maybe the next book even had a longer section on that practice. So you just have to dig it a little bit, but it's it's very wonderful. And if nothing else, you have the Q&A to always look at. So let's take a moment. So much is going on in the world right now. Let's take a moment and quietly offer all of the merit of your patience today. Thank you so much for being here. And all of those in the future that watch this, please forgive me for all the mistakes I've made. And um, I hope that you all meet the circumstances to find books like this. So let's spend a moment and offer the merit for all living beings that are going through a great deal of suffering right now. Thank you, everyone. Have a lovely day. And I hope that your practice flourishes and that you're not discouraged and you realize that we all ask the same questions about stale practice, achy bodies, not having time to practice. I, I remember over the years, whenever Kemper Ramache would do a 10-day teaching, which was 10 days of something, a similar a schedule that I mentioned, but for 10 days, he would teach morning, afternoon, and then we would all practice together at night to Chenrezig. But I'd say every 10-day teaching, at least five questions around, um, I don't have time to practice, <laughs> or my practice is getting boring, or I'm not sure what to do. So I love how Rinpoche invites our humanness and just embraces it. So I hope you have a lovely week. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Texum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.